Now, this is uh, the fifth sermon in the series on Is Jesus God? Now, if you know me, you know that I like asking questions. And you can guess, when you ask good questions, you can get answers that not only surprise you, but can change the way you look at life, transforming the way you live. And this question, is Jesus God, is such a question, isn't it? The answer to this question may surprise you and it can transform your outlook and the way you live your life. So the question is this, is Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, born to the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago, is this Jesus truly God? And I must say, I, 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 I am enjoying doing this series. The longer I look into the Bible uh, with this question in my mind, the more evidence I find from all parts of it that Jesus is truly God, fully God, always has been God, always will be God. There is no shortage of evidence in the Bible. There's certainly no shortage of evidence in the New Testament. And in the first sermon I did on this, we looked at an eyewitness, Matthew, his account in chapter 14 of his gospel. And in that chapter alone, Jesus cured disease, demonstrated control over nature, the wind and the rain, created matter out of nothing and accepted worship from men. Matthew wanted us to understand that he was convinced that Jesus truly is God. And in the second and third sermons in this series, we looked into the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is over 70% of the Christian Bible. And we saw that several keys would unlock our understanding of the Old Testament. And the first key was that Jesus, the circumstances of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection prove that he is the Old Testament's Messiah. And the second key was that the Old Testament teaches that the Messiah, this Redeemer King of Israel, is both God and man. And the third key is that Jesus always was, is, and will be the sole mediator between God and man. And then last time, we looked at another eyewitness account. This was Peter, an eyewitness to Jesus' life. And we looked in his letter, 1 Peter, and we found this, that Peter considered Jesus Christ to be sinless, to be incorruptible, to have eternal dominion, that Jesus existed before his birth, and that Jesus is the Lord God Almighty of the Old Testament. Peter was convinced that Jesus truly is God. So, what can Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the carpenter's son, what can he do when he's faced with one of the ultimate realities of this world, death? Well, let's look at it and let's see what we can learn about Jesus from looking at how he deals with death. Now, just before we get to that, we've got um, 
a little thing here. The oldest person alive. Does anybody know who the oldest? Well, there it is now. Emma Martina Lugia Morano. And she was born on the 29th of November, 1899. And today, she's 117 years and 73 days old. She's currently the world's oldest living person whose age can be verified. And she's the last living person verified to have been born in the 1800s. 117 years. Uh, Claire Austin is about 20 years behind that, isn't she? Uh, but, you know, perhaps somebody in this room may live to be that age one day. The longest lived documented person in modern times is Jean-Louis Calmont, who lived from the 21st of February 1875 to the 4th of August 1997. 1997 doesn't seem all that long ago to me. It's only 20 years, isn't it? And she is the longest confirmed human lifespan on record in modern times living to the age of 122 years and 164 days. And the Bible, of course, records that the longest living human being ever was Methuselah. And he died aged 969. He was the son of Enoch, the father of Lamech, and the grandfather of Noah. But even when we... Uh, Look at a lifespan of just shy of a thousand years. You know, we can remember a couple of things from the Bible. That man was born for trouble. You're like a thousand years of trouble. Just as the sparks fly upwards, says Job, man was born for trouble. Just as heat rises. And we remember that a thousand years in the Lord's sight are just like one day. It soon passed. A thousand years is like yesterday when you look back, isn't it? Now, throughout history, you know, there's been many attempts to define what is meant by life. I could perhaps get Peter up here and quiz him. What is life? And the many definitions proposed actually have failed to cover all the different types of life and have also failed to exclude various non-living things. It's very difficult to define life. Even today, it's a challenge for scientists and philosophers, philosophers, must get that false teeth put back in, to define life. For instance, we don't know for sure whether viruses are alive or not. That's true, isn't it? Nobody knows for sure whether a virus is alive or not. However, death is different. We're on much surer ground when we declare that something is dead, aren't we? Death, that great enemy of mankind. It's completely the opposite of life. It's decay. It's deafness. Who wants to be deaf? It's blindness. Who wants to be blind? It's paralysis. Who wants to be paralyzed? It's hopelessness. And it's all these things rolled up into one, isn't it? Death. It's completely the opposite of life. And one of the worst things about death, of course, is its complete inevitability. Which, you know, death is the great leveller, isn't it? 
We all die. The young may die. The old must die. The rich die. The poor die. Kings and queens and the humblest citizen all die. The weak are brought down by death and the strong are brought low and all made equal before death. Kyle Reese. Is that a name that you're familiar with? Kyle Reese? Who knows him? But to misquote him, he said this, listen and understand, death is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. That's death, isn't it? It's our ultimate personal nemesis, that inescapable agent of our downfall. So what can a humble carpenter born in a stable 2,000 years ago do when faced by this ultimate reality that all men and women sooner or later die? And what light does it shed on Jesus' character and person as we look with him, look at him when he is faced by death? Well, in the chapter that we read, um, uh, in the very first sermon I did, uh, the chapter in Matthew chapter 14, we see that uh, great crowds came to Jesus and they brought the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid them at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And, and so it was that Jesus was well-known, had a well-known and proven ability to cure all disease and illness. And it meant that it was widely believed he could prevent or postpone death by curing the sick person of their ailment. And so in our passage that we've read tonight... Mark chapter 5, we have Jairus, a leader in the synagogue. That's the local Jewish church. And he comes to Jesus in verse 22 of Mark chapter 5, and he is absolutely at his wit's end. His 12-year-old daughter is so desperately ill that she is at the point of death. But Jairus comes with full confidence in Jesus' ability because of his proven record, his proven and well-known ability to cure all diseases and illnesses of people brought to him. And he says to Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And we see in verse 24 that Jesus went with him. So too concerning Lazarus. If we look in John chapter 11, uh, verse 21, Martha, Lazarus's brother, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had confidence that Jesus can prevent and postpone death. And then Mary... Lazarus's other sister, in verse 32, 
When Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell down at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even the crowd of Jews in verse 36 in John chapter 11 said, see how Jesus loved him. And in verse 37, they said, some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? It was widely known that Jesus could prevent and postpone death by curing even the most desperate and normally fatal sickness. So Jesus could prevent and postpone death. Now in our passage in verse 30, Mark chapter 5, verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, after Jairus had asked him to come and cure his sick daughter, some people came from the house of Jairus and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? So Jairus, his family and friends, they faced the finality of death, death of a beloved little girl. What is Jesus' reaction? Verse 36, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And when in verse 38, they came to the home of Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. These were the mourners. They knew that little girl was dead. She was lost. She'd passed from this world. She had gone. And Jesus went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, and they would, wouldn't they? You know, the people laughed not because they were happy, did they? Normally we laugh because we're happy. But why did they laugh at Jesus? Because they thought, this man is mad, he's daft. This girl has died, and that is the end. And they were laughing because of the futility of thinking that one who was truly dead could be considered to be just sleeping. Death for them, as well as us, is final, unalterable. It is the end of hope and the beginning of irredeemable loss. No wonder they laughed at Jesus. However, in verse 37, Jesus went in where the child was, Verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up, we read, and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. We would be, wouldn't we? If we were there, we would be totally and completely astonished. Jesus gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus had power over death. And he knew that he had power over death. Jesus can not only prevent death, he can reverse death. When Jesus addressed that child, little girl, I say to you, get up. He knew she would hear 
He knew the dead could hear him and would respond to him. Jesus can reverse death. And so too concerning the, the son of the widow of Nain, which is in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Now Jesus was outside the town of Nain, witnessing the funeral of a young man who is the only child of a widow. And Jesus' heart goes out to the bereft widow. He stops the funeral cortege. And as Luke 7, verse 14 records, Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And what we see there too is instant, immediate, complete restoration of life to one personally called back from the dead by Jesus of Nazareth. And so too, Lazarus, who died, a man dead for four plus days, whose decaying body had begun to stink, when stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus, it's recorded in John chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus has power over death and he knew that he had power over death. Jesus has power to speak to the dead and he knows they will respond. Jesus can not only prevent death, but he can reverse death. Now, if I could bring somebody here that could not only prevent death, but could in fact reverse death, you would rightly hail him as being God incarnate and such is Jesus. So I could stop my sermon now. So I've proved my case. QED, as the mathematicians like to say. Quotient est demonstratum, something like that. Is Jesus God? Yes. Because he has power over mankind's greatest enemy, death. Truly, Jesus is the living God. There is evidence enough here. But actually, in the Bible, there's more, much more. You know, we, we may be taken from this life, mightn't we, by accident or illness. We may be murdered. Or in the bottom of, very, of a very deep despond, perhaps we might take our own life. But Jesus' situation is very different. Jesus has power over his own death. He says in John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, that he has power to lay down his life and to take it up again. My father loves me, he says. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. That's an amazing statement. You know, kings often claim that they have the power of life and death. They, they do have the power of death over you, 
and they can make your life pretty unpleasant before the end. But they don't have the power of life. But Jesus does. So even on the cross, after a prolonged period of torture, Jesus' life is not taken from him, but he yields it up to God the Father, as recorded in Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So he laid his life down, just as he'd prophesied. And he said he had power to take it up again. Now, what a claim, eh? What a claim. If somebody came in here saying, I've got power to lay my life down and I've got power to take it up again. Yeah? Poor. You got the power when dead to restore yourself to life. How could we put our trust in a person who came in here that made such an outrageous claim? Eh? How could the Jews of his day put their trust in a person who made such an outrageous claim that they had the power to put the life, to lay the life down and the, the power when dead to bring themselves back to life? How could you put your trust in a person who made such an outrageous claim? Well, only if they delivered on it. Only if they demonstrated that that power was a real power. And that's what Jesus went on to do. But Jesus' enemies knew about Jesus' proven power over death, especially at the time of the crucifixion, because of the recent and very public raising of Lazarus just a few miles outside Jerusalem, and they took Jesus' prediction of rising from the dead very seriously, didn't they? So perhaps they'd witnessed his manner of death, giving up his spirit voluntarily on the cross, and perhaps it shook them. Because immediately after Jesus' crucifixion, the Jewish chief priests and scribes approached the Roman governor, Pilate, and asked him to set a guard on Jesus' tomb. Matthew 27, 63. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, so he's already dead, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And the la this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So not only has Jesus got power over death, been able to postpone it and even reverse it in others, but he has power over his own death to lay down his life and to take it up again. And his enemies knew that claim which he had clearly made. Jesus has power over death. 
And Jesus has personally defeated death, hasn't he? You can go and visit the tomb of Buddha. You can go and visit the tomb of Confucius and Muhammad. And they've got bodies in them. Only the tomb of Jesus is empty. That the tomb was empty early on that first Easter Sunday morning is documented by all four evangelists. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. The apostle Peter is emphatic in Acts 2.32 when he says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, is appealing to the people in the city at the time. It was a known fact to them that Jesus was raised. And the Apostle Paul clearly states that the resurrection of Jesus took place the third day in 1 Corinthians 15, which I read at the beginning of the service. The fact of Jesus' bodily resurrection is the dynamic that propels a few downcast disciples that were hiding late on that Good Friday in that locked upper room. It's the dynamic that drove those men who were despairing, right? And it drove them to, to be the start of a vibrant, growing early church into men and women that would turn the world upside down. Jesus has defeated death personally. Death no longer has any hold on him. Unlike those previously raised, Jesus himself will never die again. As it says in Romans 6, 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion or mastery over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. The empty tomb, it's a fact that just cannot be got around. Jesus has risen from the dead. As Jesus prophesied, he could lay down his life. As Jesus prophesied, he could take it back up again. Death has no power over Jesus personally. He has triumphed over death, defeating it. And there's still yet more. How much more evidence do you need to believe that Jesus is God? The Bible tells us clearly that on death, Christians immediately go to be with Jesus in paradise. Jesus promises the dying thief who repented on the cross, didn't he, in Luke 23. Today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And likewise, all Christians go immediately to be with Jesus in paradise. That's a defeat for death, isn't it? Even when death does its worst to Christians in this world, they go immediately to be with Christ in paradise. And Paul uh, states that clearly in 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Jesus has defeated death in that on death Christians immediately go to be with him 
in paradise. And Jesus has defeated death in that all the dead will be raised at Jesus' command. All the dead will be raised at Jesus' command. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. That's what the Apostle Paul writes. Jesus himself says in John 5, 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son, that's Jesus, to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Death, it turns out, cannot even hold on to one of all those billions it has already taken or shall take before Jesus raises the dead at his return. At his spoken command, at Jesus' spoken command, all the dead will be raised and death is completely undone. It's completely negated, isn't it? Jesus has defeated death. But there's more. How could there be more? If all the dead who have ever died are raised, how could there be more? How could Jesus have defeated death even more? Well, Jesus has dealt with the root cause of death. You know, on the death certificates, they put down the cause, don't they? I don't know if any, ever, any doctors put down cause of death and put down what the Bible would put down. What would the Bible put down as cause of death? Sin. Yeah. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, the reward for sinning is death. Sin is the root cause of death. Jesus, you know, doesn't just defeat death, but he dealt with sin, the root cause of death. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I received what I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus has to be able to deal with sin if he is to deal with death because sin is the root cause of death. Now, another medical analogy. What's the point of just cleaning up the blood on a patient? That's, if you could just keep the blood perfectly clean off the patient but you don't touch the wound where it's spurting from. That is no medical solution to loss of blood, is it? You just let him bleed and you just keep cleaning it up. And that's the situation we'd be in if Jesus just kept overcoming death, wouldn't it? 
but he deals with the root cause of death. He deals with sin. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on that cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus dealt with, us, with sin. Our sins, those sins that so easily beset us and cause us so often to stumble, those sins that ruin our lives, that ruin our relationships with family and friends, and those sins that have cut us off from a holy God. Jesus deals, dealt with our sin on the cross. Do you feel that burden of your sin? Eh? Do you want that burden to be taken away? Do you want that old sinful heart removed and a new heart alive to God in its place? Jesus did not just defeat death, but he dealt with the root cause of death, sin. And so there is forgiveness for all our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I started with a question. Is Jesus God? And I hope you can see that I've answered several points absolutely emphatically. Yes, Jesus is God. And as a result, what should we do? Worship him. Worship him. Now, Jesus, he can postpone death and prevent death. He, can pers he personally defeated death and one day will raise all the dead back to eternal life. All the evidence regarding Jesus' power over death clearly proves that he is God, God in human flesh. And so, yes, Jesus is God and we must worship him. We should glory in the God who made you and loves you and gave his life for you. And our prime form of worship should be by being obedient to him. We must repent because he commands us to. When we consider, you know, the finality and the universality of death, you know, surely you realise that death is not just a problem for the other person, the one sitting next to you or behind you. This is your problem. Mortal man or woman here tonight, what are you going to do during your ever so short life about death. Jesus has power over death and its root cause sin. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus has not just dealt with sin in the theoretical abstract case, but he has paid for the sins 
of his people by shedding his own blood on that cross. Put your trust in him. Jesus is God. Worship him. Jesus is God. Follow him. Jesus is God. Jesus will change your life, your death, and your eternal state for the better. Thank you.